Peter Hill Explains, where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about... Episode 4 of a Wikipedia reading of gravitational waves. This is by far the most uh, mind-blowingly advanced science which we are experiencing in our age. We've got the computer, the silicon, uh, quantum mechanics, but this is something else where we can see deep into the universe and cataclysmic uh, things we can actually listen to. We can, we can actually turn on these microphones and actually see, hear the universe grinding away. It's an incredible thing. And the most recent uh, thing I've said here is how we've got three antennas and the three antennas using time and polarization information that can locate where the gravitational wave came from and send um, get optics to look at it and the gravitational waves can actually uh, speed up uh, by a few seconds or, it, or possibly even a day sometimes after billions of years traveling through the universe it uh, the light gets caught up and often the light generation occurs in events after the gravitational wave is produced so what happens is that uh, gravitational collapse occurs because the waves separately there's a huge neutron burst from this thing which creates uh, transuranic elements high R elements which then glow day afterwards so this is things which are, are falling apart and so you get this glow of light coming out so you can actually see it afterwards now what we're going to do now is read gravitational gravitational wave astronomy so we've it, and now we can convert the Earth into a giant telescope. During the past century, astronomy has been revolutionized by the use of methods of observing the universe. Astronomical observations were initially made using visible light. Galileo Galilei pioneered the use of telescopes to enhance these observations. That is a true statement. However, visible light is only a small portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. And not all objects in the distance universe shine strongly at this particular band. Well, basically none, obviously, because uh, that's why the sky is black at night. Uh, more useful information may be found, for example, in radio wavelengths. Using radio telescopes, astronomers have found pulsars and quasars. So pulsars are rotating... Um, uh, uh, neutron stars. They have to be neutron stars. And quasars are... Uh, entire galaxies which have been consumed by their black holes uh, and made uh, so there's quasars and blazars and made other unprecedented discoveries of objects not formally known to scientists or like the entire pulsar was you know what is this what is this this high frequency object emitting huge amounts of power the little green man LGM it was called a discovery Stephen Hawking called the greatest, uh, sorry, uh, this is the impacts of the Big Bang. Stephen called the greatest discovery of a century, if not all time. Similar advances in observation using gamma rays, X-rays, ultraviolet light and infrared light have also brought new insights into astronomy. As each of these regions of the spectrum have opened, new discoveries have been made that could not have been made otherwise. Astronomer hope, astronomers hope same holds for gravitational waves. You betcha. That's definitely what's happening. 
Gravitational waves have two important unique properties. First, there's no need for any type of matter to be present nearby in order for the waves to generate by a binary system of unchanged, uncharged black holes. It would emit no electromagnetic radiation. So, I don't quite know what they mean by that. You, you, they're not converting matter into energy, but it is. Second, gravitational waves can pass through intervening matter without being scattered significantly. Whereas light from distant stars may be blocked by interstellar dust, for example, gravitational waves will pass essentially unimpeded. These two features allow gravitational waves to carry information about astronomical phenomena here to here to for heretofore never observed by humans. I don't know who's written that thing. The source of gravitational waves described above are in the low frequency end of the gravitational wave spectrum, 10 to the minus 7 uh, to 10 to the 5 hertz. And um, this is 10 to the 3 hertz, kilohertz. An, an astrophysical source of high frequency end gravitational wave spectrum above 10 to the 5 hertz and probably 10 to the 10 hertz generates relic grade, uh, gravitational waves that are theorized to be faint imprints of the Big Bang, like other cosmic microwave backgrounds. At these high frequencies, it is potentially possible that the sources may be, uh, may be made man-made. That is, gravitational waves generated and detected in the laboratory. Well, that is absolutely brain uh, that does my head in. A supermassive black hole created from the merger of a black holes in the centre of two emerging galaxies detected by the Hubble Space Telescope is theorised to have been ejected from the merger, uh, uh, merged centre by gravitational waves. So... Uh, they are actually seeing black holes peeing across space due to being pushed out against space itself by gravitational waves. Indirect detection. Although the waves from the Earth-Sun system are minuscule, astronomers can point to other sources which of radiation would be substantial. One important example is the Hustle-Taylor binary, a pair of stars, neutrons or pulsars in actual fact, uh, which, one of which is a pulsar. Oh, so one of the, oh, I didn't know that. One, it's not a pulsar binary, it's a, a pulsar. The characteristic of the orbit has been deduced by Doppler shifting of the radio signal given off by the pulsar. Each of the stars is about 1.4 masses of the Sun. And the size of the orbit is about 175th of the Earth's Sun orbit, just a few times lighter than the diameter of our own Sun. The combination of the greater masses and the smaller separation means that energy given off by the Hustle binary is far greater than the energy given off by the Earth-Sun system by roughly 10 to the 22. So there's, uh, this is just unbelievable. A petawatt is 10 to the 15 uh, and so this is you know, just an enormous amount of energy. Uh, the information about the orbit can be used to predict how much energy and angular momentum would be radiated in the form of gravitational waves. So not only does it actually have to slow down, it has to actually stop spinning and come together. So it comes together, that energy is emitted from the place. The resulting trajectory of each star is an in spiral, the spiral of decreasing radius. 
General relativity precisely describes these trajectories, in particular the energy radiated in gravitational waves determines the rate of decrease in the period. Defined as the time interval between successive uh, peristrons, points of closest approaches of the two stars, for the Hussle-Taylor pulsar, the predicted current radius is about um, uh, 3 millimeters per orbit and a change of uh, 7.75 hours um, is about 2 seconds per year. Following a preliminary observation showing the orbital energy loss consistent with gravitational waves, careful timing observations of the Taylor and Joel Weisberg dramatically confirmed the predicted uh, decrease within 10%. With improved statistics of more than 30 years of timing data since the pulses discovery, the observed change in orbital period currently matches predictions of the gravitational waves 2.2%. In 1993, spurred in part by the indirect detection of gravitational waves, the Nobel Committee awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics to Hussle and Taylor for the discovery of a new type of pulsar, a discovery that opened up new possibilities for the study of gravitation. Uh, the lifetime of this binary system of the present uh, to the merger is estimated to be a few hundred million years. It's actually quite, quite interesting uh, that there would be lots and lots of people involved and it's these people who get their name on the paper of observation and get the Nobel Prize. In spirals are very important sources of gravitational waves. Any time two compact objects, white dwarfs, neutron stars, black holes, are in close orbits they send out intense gravitational waves. As they spiral closer and closer to each other the waves become more intense. At some point they should become um, so intense that direct detection by their effect on Earth uh, or space as possible. The direct detection is a goal of several large-scale experiments. The only difficulty is that most systems like the Hussle-Taylor binary are too far away. The amplitude of the waves given off the Hussle-Taylor binary at Earth would be roughly 10 to the minus 26. So this is just under fraction of a, you know, this is a Planck's constant. There are some sources, however, that astrophysicists expect to find and produce much greater amplitudes, H is 10 to the minus 20. At least eight other binary pulsars have been discovered, so this is just amazing. Imagine you were you were doing that type of stuff. You'd come across, you'd, you'd be just pretty intense. Gravitational waves are not easily detectable. When they reach Earth, they have small amplitude, with a strain approximately 10 to minus 21, meaning that extremely extensive, uh, sensitive detector is needed and other sources of noise can overwhelm the signal. Gravitational waves are expected to have frequencies of 10 to the minus 16 hertz um, to 10 to the 4 hertz. Well, this, this is a bit of a contradiction here. Uh, we're, we're measuring the, the upper hand. I think this is what they're meaning from, um, from these sources, from, from the binary sources. Now, the major thing here is um, noise. You, you, the problem is your gravitational wave is sitting amongst this huge amount of noise. Ground-based detectors. Though the Hussle-Taylor observations were very important, they give only indirect evidence of gravitational waves. Well, well I don't know. A more conclusive observation would be direct measurements of the effect of the passing of gravitational waves, which could provide more information about the system that generated it. Any such detection is complicated by the extraordinarily small effect of waves can produce on the detector. The amplitude of the spherical waves will fall off as the inverse of the distance of the source. 
I suppose the amplitude and the energy is R squared. That's even waves uh, from extreme uh, systems like merging black holes die out to very small um, amplitudes by the time they reach Earth. Surely it's one on R squared is what they were talking about. Earth astrophysicists expect that some gravitational waves passing through Earth may be as large as 10 to the minus 20, but generally no bigger. Resonant antenna. A simple device theorized to detect the expected wave motion is the Weber bar, a large solid bar of metal isolated from outside of vibrations. This type of instrument was the first type of gravitational wave detector. Strains in space due to instant gravitational wave excite the bar's resonant frequency and could thus be amplified to detectable levels. Conceivably, a nearby supernova might be strong enough uh, to be seen without resonant amplification. With this instrument, Joseph Weber claimed to have detected daily signals and gravitational waves. His results, however, contested in 1974 by physicists Richard Garwin and David Douglas. Modern forms of the Weber bar still operated, cryogenically cooled with superconducting quantum interference devices to detect vibration. Weber bars are not sensitive enough to detect anything but extremely powerful gravitational waves. So essentially, they're being made obsolete. Um, Mini Grail, M-I-N-I, capital G, capital R-A, capital A-I-L, is a spherical gravitational antenna using this missile. It's based in Leiden University, consisting of an exacting machine, 1.150 kilogram, so you're cryogenically cooled to 20 millikelvin. So this is something that's going really out. The spherical configuration allows for equal sensitivity in all directions. It is somewhat experimentally simpler than the larger linear devices requiring high vacuum. Evidence are detected by measuring deformation of the detector sphere. Mini-rail is highly sensitive in the 2 to 4 kHz range, suitable for detecting gravitational waves from rotating neutron stars, instabilities, or small black hole mergers. There are currently two detectors focused on the higher end of gravitational wave spectrum, 10 to minus 7 to 50 hertz, uh, 10 to 5 hertz, at the University of Birmingham, England, and the other in INF Genoa, Italy, a third under development at Quanjing University in China. The Birmingham detector measures changes in the polarization state of microwave beams circulating in a closed loop about one uh, meter across. Both detectors are expected to be sensitive in the periodic time space strains of H2 to the minus 13 on the square root of hertz, given as an amplitude of spectral density. The INF uh, Genoa detector is a resonant antenna consisting of two coupled spherical superconducting harmonic oscillators a few centimetres in diameter. The oscillators are designed to have, when uncoupled, almost equal resonant frequencies. The system is currently expected to have a sensitive periodic space term of 10 to the minus 17 to the square root of hertz, um, which is an expectation to reach a sensitivity of 2 by 10 to the minus 12, 20 on the square root of hertz. The Chong detector is planned to detect relic high-frequency gravitational waves with the predicted uh, parameters of 10 to the minus 11 hertz, um, and uh, H equals... Uh, 10 to minus 30 uh, to 10 to minus 32. Very, uh, for me, intensely interesting that they've, that, that um, as the Weber bar is 
dead because it's trying to take something that Lego Lego could do. There's other resonance uh, configurations. Interferometers. A more sensitive class of detector is the laser interferometry to measure gravitational waves induced motion between separated free masses. This allows the mass to be separated by very large distances, increasingly the signal size. A further advantage is that it is sensitive to a wide range of frequencies, not just the near resonance as the Weber bars. After years of development, the first ground-based interferometers became operational in 2015. Currently, the most sensitive is LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. So the, the GW's off. It has three detectors, Livingston, Louisiana, and one in Hanford site in Richard, uh, in Rushland, Washington. A third, formerly installed in the second detector at Hannaford, is planned to be removed to India. Each observation has two light storage arms that are four kilometers in length and 90 degrees angles to each other, with the light passing through a one millimeter, one meter diameter vacuum tubes running the entire four kilometers. A passing gravitational wave will slightly stretch one arm as it shortens the other. This, was this is precisely the motion which the interferometer is most sensitive. So you can imagine uh, uh, that that type of stuff. So it's, it will physically change the distance, whereas the light the light won't feel that. So I find that hard to to see how how that actually operates because um, the light is embedded into the space. Light is a distortion of space. You're distorting space. I can't quite see how it works. Uh, even with such long arms, the strongest gravitational waves will only change the distance between the ends of the arm by roughly 10 to the minus 18 meters. So a, a proton is a femtometer. Uh, I forgot what femto comes from. Um, I think it's Norwegian for something. I'll have to, have to go back into it. A femtometer is one femtometer. And um, well, a femto is, I think, 15 or something like that. I, I really have to get, get back on, onto the knowledge of that. So a proton is that. 10 to minus 18 is a thousandth of a meter. Sh um, I should be able to detect gravitational waves as small as h equals 5 per 10 to minus 22. Upgrades to LIGO and Virgo should increase the sensitivity still further. So they've, still, they, they, they've now got a list of things which can increase the sensitivity and um, they're they are not got the low-hanging fruit first off. It's pretty interesting. Um, um, another highly sensitive interferometer, Kagura, is under construction in the Kamoskan mine in Japan. A key point is the tenfold increase in sensitivity, radius or reach, increases the volume of space accessible to the instruments by 1,000 times. So it's 10 in the X, 10 in the Y, 10 in the Z. This increases the rate of detectable signals might be seen from uh, 1 per tens of years of observation to tens per year. But they're now observing several years, so I don't know what's going on. Interferometer de detectors are limited at high frequencies by shot noise, uh, which occurs because the laser produces photons randomly. So that's why you need a powerful laser. A small laser is essentially 
Yeah, they are only shot noise. A really high powerful laser has other other detection things, i.e. heat absorption and vibration. Um, uh, one analogy is rainfall, the rate of rainfall. So you can imagine, you can hear that pat, 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 and then when it hits. Um, this leads to noise at the output detector, uh, much like a radio static. In addition, for sufficiently high laser power, the random momentum transferred to the test moment by the laser photons shakes the mirror, masking the signals at, of low frequency. Thermal noise, Brownian motion, is another limit to sensitivity. In addition, the stationary constant noise uh, sources, all ground-based detectors, are also limited by low frequency, by seismic noise and other forms of environmental vibration and other non-stationary noise sources, uh, creaks in the mechanical structure, lightning and other large electrical disturbances, uh, also create noise making the event uh, or may uh, imitate an event. All these must be taken into account and excluded for the analysis before detection may be considered to be a true gravitational wave event. Now, interesting, you, you might ask, why does lightning do it? Well, lightning is um, a release of electrostatic energy. The actual mass of the clouds moves a bit higher up. So clouds come close together, and when lightning goes in, they no longer have the electrostatic movement, so you, you'll get that, that effect coming in. Einstein at home. Mm. Okay. Looking across here. And okay, Einstein at home. The simplest gravitational waves are those with constant frequency. Waves given off by spinning non-axisymmetric uh, non neutral star would be approximate monochromatic a pure tone in acoustics. Unlike signals from supernova or binary black holes, these signals evolve little in amplitude and frequency over the period and would be observed by ground-based detectors. However, there would be some change in the measured signals because of Doppler shifting caused by the motion of the Earth. Despite the signals being simple, detection is extremely computationally expensive because of the long stretches of data that must be analysed. The Einstein at Home project is a distributed computing project similar to SETI at Home intended to detect this type of gravitational wave by taking data from LIGO and GEO and sending it out in little pieces of thousands of volunteers in parallel analysis in their home computers. Einstein at home can be sifted through the data far more quickly than would be possible otherwise. I don't think, I think this is more a PR stunt. Space-based interferometers. Space-based interferometers such as LISA and DEC-EGO are also being developed. LISA's design calls for three test masses forming an equilateral triangle with lasers from each spacecraft to the other spacecraft forming two independent interferometers. LISA is planned to occupy a solar orbit trailing Earth's, um, with each arm of the triangle being five million kilometers. So this is you know this is pretty big. This is just pretty enormous. Uh, this puts the detector in an excellent vacuum far from Earth's base sources of noise, though it will still be susceptible to heat, shot noise and artifacts caused by cosmic rays and solar wind using pulsar timing arrays. Pulsars are rapidly rotating stars. 
the neutron stars. Pulsar emits a beam of radio waves that, like a lighthouse beams, sweep through the sky as, as the pulsar rotates. The signal from a pulsar can be detected by radio telescopes as a series of regularly spaced pulses, essentially like ticks of a clock. Uh, gravitational waves are fixed on the time it takes the pulse to travel from the pulsar to the Earth telescope. A pulsar timing array uses millisecond pulses to seek out perturbations due to DW uh, gravitational waves in measurements and space uh, time of arrival of pulses to the telescope. In other words, to look for deviations in the clock ticks. To detect gravitational waves, pulsar timing arrays search for distinct patterns of correlation and anti-correlation between the time of arrival of pulses from several pulsars. Although pulses, uh, uh, pulsar pulses travel through space for hundreds of thousands of years to reach us, pulsar timing arrays are sensitive to perturbations in their travel time to much less to a millionth of a second. The principal source of gravitational waves to which the pulsar timing rays are sensitive are the supermassive black holes, binaries, which are the form, uh, form of the collision of galaxies. In addition to individual binary systems, pulsar timing rays are sensitive to stochastic background in gravitational waves made by the sum of gravitational waves from many galaxy mergers. And other potential signal sources include cosmic strings and primordial background gravitational waves uh, from cosmic inflations. Cosmic strings would have to be the most wacky thing I have come across. So that's page 14. Page 15. Globally, there are three active pulsar timing array projects. The North American Nanohertz Observatory for Gravitational Waves uh, uses uh, data collected for the ACROBO Radio Telescope and Green Bank Telescope. The Australian Pulse Pulsar Timing Array uses data from the Parkes Radio Telescope. The European Pulsar uh, timing Array uses data from the four largest telescopes in Europe. Lovell Telescope, Westerbork Synthesis Telescope, Effelsberg Telescope, and the Nazi Radio Telescope. These three groups collaborate under the title of the International Pulsar Timing Array Project. Primordial Gravitational Waves. Primordial Gravitational Waves are gravitational waves observed in the cosmic microwave background. They were allegedly detected by BICEP-2 instrument, an announcement was made on the 17th of March 2014, which was withdrawn on the 30th of January 2015. The signal can be entirely attributed to dust of the Milky Way. There you go, poor, poor chaps. And then, short time later, in 2016, a year later, it was seen. On the 11th, LIGO and Virgo observations. On the, 11th, on the 11th of February 2016, the LIGO collaboration announced the first observation of gravitational waves. From a signal detected at 9.50 and 45 seconds GMT on the 10th of the 15th, 2015, of two black holes with the masses of 29 and 36 solar masses emerging about, emerging about 1.3 billion light years away. During the final fraction of the second of the merger, it released more than 50 times the power of all the stars in the observable universe combined. The signal increased in frequency from 35 to 250 hertz over 10 cycles, 5 orbits. That's right, it's each orbit, because each orbit looks the same when it comes across. Uh, the mass of the new merged black hole was uh, 62 solar masses. Energy equivalent to three solar masses were emitted in gravitational waves. The signal was seen both by LIGO in Livingston and Hannaford, 
and the time difference was 7 milliseconds due to the angle between the two detectors and the source, or due to the distance, the angle and the, the angle, like it could be the distance, I think is, is what you could say, you can't, you need three to get an angle. Um, this signal came from the south celestial hemisphere, so you can pick up from the polarisation, pretty amazing, in a rough direction of, but much further away than Magellanic Cloud. The gravitational waves observed from this region, the more than five sigma, um, which is great. And that's what you require. I think they've got a huge amount of sigma for um, the uh, Higgs. And it's unlike the Higgs, where they knew there were, you know, it was one sigma, two sigma, three, and it was going across as data, and they got more and more, and then at four sigma, then they got the funding to go for more and more. This is more incredible. Um, since then, LIGO and Virgo have reported more gravitational waves observations for the merging of black hole binaries, a lot more. On the 16th of October 2017, LIGO and Virgo collaboration announced the first ever detection of gravitational waves originating from the coalescence of binary neutron star systems. The observation of the GW gravitational waves 170817 transient uh, with, occurred on the 17th of August 2017. Allowed for uh, constraining of masses of neutron stars evolved between 0.86 and 6.26 solar masses. Further analysis show a greater restriction of mass values uh, in the interval of 1.17 to 1.6 solar masses, with the total system mass between 2.73 and 2.78 solar masses. The inclusion of Virgo detector in the observation effort allowed the improvement of the localization of the force by source by a factor of 10. This in turn facilitated the electromagnetic follow-up of the event, i.e. they could actually see it. In contrast to the case of the binary black hole mergers, binary neutron star mergers are expected to yield an electromagnetic counterpart, that is, a light signal associated with the event. The gamma ray burst, GRB 170817, okay, it's the same one, A, was detected by the Fermi Gamma Ray Telescope, occurring 1.7 seconds after the gravitational wave transient. The signal originated near the galaxy NCG 4993, was associated with a neutron star merger. This was, this is pretty amazing, uh, collaborated with the electromagnetic follow-up, um, which is a T2017GFO, involving 70 telescopes and observatories, yielding observations over a larger, large region of the electromagnetic spectrum which further confirmed the neutron star's nature of the merged objects associated with the kilonova, and they saw a huge amount of gold produced. Now, this is the final bit for this. Um, in fiction, an episode in the Russian science fiction novel, Space Apprentice, A. Cardi and Boris Trotsky shows the experiment monitoring the propagation of gravitational waves uh, at the expense of annihilating a chunk of asteroid Cho they chose it, whatever it is. Uh, in Standard's Law's Lem's Fiasco, a gravitational gun or grazer, gravitational application of collimated emission of resonance, is used to reshape a colospar, so the protagonist can exploit the extreme relativistic effects to make interstellar journey of deer. In Greg Egan's 
diaspora. The analysis of the gravitational wave signal from the in-spiral of a nearby binary neutron star reveals that solution immersion is imminent and applying a large gamma ray burst is going to impact Earth. In Liu Qin's Remembrance of Earth's Past, a series of gravitational waves are used as an interstellar broadcast signal uh, which serves as the central port point in the conflict between civilizations within the galaxy. Thanks a lot for listening. I was a bit more awake than at the last, last of that. another story comes to a close it's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you may you discover truly amazing things understand them and tell others thanks for listening